and families here, and I'm so delighted to be here with you this morning and sharing the Word of God with you. Well, friends, we definitely live in an age of fairness. And kids, if you know any, are masters at this. Every food portion has to be exactly the same size. Screen time with kids has to be equal down to the very last second. An allowance has to be precisely the same down to the penny. Parents who are here or people who have been parents in one stage of your life, you can attest to this, right? Kids know fairness. But adults are not any better. If we see someone cut in line, what do we do? We get really frustrated. We secretly resent that coworker that's given an opportunity that we don't think they deserve. And don't get me started on how we act when we're driving. All of us from young to old think that what we need and want in life is fairness. But have you ever had someone forgive you when you didn't think that you deserved it? Once, when I was a child, I was sitting in a rocking chair in our family room. Now, I was sprawled out in the chair because my parents were not down there. I had my feet balanced precariously on the floor lamp that was sitting just beside the chair. To be honest, I felt like I was getting away with something. But my triumph was short-lived. When I adjusted myself to get a better view of the cartoons that I was watching, my feet slipped and suddenly the lamp went crashing to the floor. My parents came running and I dissolved into a mess of tears. In truth, the only thing that was broken was a light bulb. But I was inconsolable. I knew that I had been doing something that I should not be doing. I expected to be yelled at, grounded, and generally robbed of fun for the rest of that day. But my parents just consoled me, insisting that it wasn't a big deal and I didn't need to be so upset about it. I was literally speechless. I eventually did calm down. And in fact, I was surprised to see that I felt a deep sense of peace and comfort because I'd been forgiven. I didn't need to fear further punishment. What I needed to have peace in that moment was not fairness, but forgiveness. This morning, we're going to be talking about the power of forgiveness Specifically, God's forgiveness to us through Christ and the deep peace that it brings to those who know it. Let's pray now and invite his spirit to come minister his gospel peace to our hearts this morning. God of peace, you have made a way through Christ. Just think about the lyrics of that song, Once We Were Enemies. And now we are friends through Christ. And you've called us not only your friends, but your children. You've brought us into your family. And so, Father, the deep peace that that is intended to give our souls, I pray, I pray that you administer that to us this morning. You know that I don't have any words to say that can change a single heart here. But you do. You have words of life. And so would you minister them this morning to your people that, that we would walk away with a deeper sense of who we are in Christ 
and a deeper peace as a result. Speak to us this morning, we pray in his name. Amen. Oscar Wilde, the famous poet, is quoted as saying, Life is never fair, and perhaps it is a good thing for most of us that it is not. From childhood, we are taught to value fairness, to treat others fairly, and to expect others to treat us the same way. And there's nothing wrong with fairness in and of itself. But God's word teaches us that there is something better to be had in life than fairness. His word says to us, Christian, even in the midst of sin and guilt, all is well, all will be well, be at peace. We can find hints of this beautiful little promise tucked away in the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 31, verses 33 through 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of the, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. These verses are a wonderful picture of a day that would come where men and women and children would finally know true peace, not from knowing about God, but from knowing him personally and intimately. There would be a day, Jeremiah said, when we don't need to have others continually showing us the way to God because we will have free and unfettered access to him through Christ. Isaiah also promises the same kind of deep and lasting peace through Christ. In chapter 53, verse 5, he says, But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the gospel, friends. Do not miss it. Theologians call this the great exchange. When Jesus died on the cross, he made me and he made you an offer. If I will give to God all of my sin, every selfish thought, every unkind word, every little white lie, every ounce of ingratitude, every bit of envy, if I will give to God all these sins and so many more, Believing in my heart that Jesus was who he said he was, then God will take all of that sin and put it on Christ. He will then take all of the righteousness of Christ, every life-giving word that Jesus spoke, every time he perfectly honored the Sabbath, every act of generosity to the poor, even his obedient death on the cross, and he will put all of that righteousness on me. It is all mine through faith in Christ. So much so that when God looks at me now, he cannot help but see Christ in me. All the tenderness, all the approval, all the love, all the affirmation, all the acceptance that God felt for Jesus is now also mine. That is real peace. Here's the beautiful part. Through Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection, 
we are able to have access to true peace with God through the forgiveness of our sins. I don't know about you, but I don't want God's fairness. I would rather have his forgiveness offered to me through Christ. In this series that we've been going through, New Year, New Me, we've been talking a lot about the quick fixes that the world wants to give us. Some people call them resolutions. And how God always offers us better and lasting change through the power of the gospel. That speeding ticket that mercifully gets thrown out. That work mistake that somehow doesn't get you fired. That careless word that a friend chooses to overlook. All of those are just status pending. Until the next ticket. Or the next careless word. Or the next work mistake. Because, friends, we will mess up. We will make more mistakes. We will sin. Our human relationships cannot offer us abiding peace or permanent grace. Those can be found in Christ alone. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sin may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. If we want true and lasting refreshment, we won't find it at a day spa or during happy hour or on vacation or in marriage counseling. It can only be found through Jesus. He again tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Richard Heffler tells a story of a little boy who is visiting his grandparents. And he is given the gift of his first slingshot. He practiced in the woods, but he could never quite hit his target right on. As he was coming dejected back into the, his grandparents' yard, he spied their pet duck. Something took over him, and on an impulse, he took aim and he let a stone fly. It hit the duck and it fell dead. The boy panicked, realizing what he'd done. Desperately, he went and he hid the dead duck behind a woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching him. Now Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me that he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, oh, I'm sorry, but I really need Sally to help me make supper. Sally smiled and said, oh, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered, remember. So Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. And after several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it anymore. He confessed to his grandma that he had killed her pet duck. I know, Johnny, she said. 
giving him a hug. I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. In Jesus, we are able to to trade our burdens for rest, our harsh masters for a gentle and kind father, our guilt for true and lasting peace. As that song just said, no more chains. I have one more story for you. It's from one of my favorite movies, which is called The Mission. It's an older movie about a small group of 18th century Jesuit priests who take the gospel to the remote jungles of Argentina and Paraguay. With them on the journey is a hardened criminal named Rodrigo Mendoza. He had recently and astonishingly been acquitted of murdering his brother after finding him in bed with his fiancée. Though he was now free legally, He could not seem to get any peace. He was spiraling into depression and self-hatred. One of the missionaries challenged Mendoza to join them on their journey in the jungle, to get him out of his own head and to give him something productive to do. He reluctantly agrees. Mendoza makes himself a pack mule of sorts on their journey, carrying this huge net of heavy metal and armor and equipment as they trek up the mountains and wade across the rivers. He makes it his mission to literally carry this burden. Finally, when they're climbing a particularly muddy and treacherous hillside, after he slips in the mud, the priest, seeing his burden, is literally dragging him down climbs over to him and in one swift motion cuts the heavy burden from his back. Mendoza, who's been stoic and silent this whole journey, looks the priest in the eye, climbs back down the hill to where the net has fallen. He reattaches the net back to the rope that's looped around his body and he starts to climb again with that burden. Unable to, com- to, to keep moving without the weight of his guilt. He is unable to accept forgiveness. He's unable to even forgive himself. He would rather live with the certainty of the burden than the mystery of forgiveness. Let's watch the scene together.
so frustrating to watch, isn't it? But how many times do we do the same thing? That scene reminds me of a quote by C.S. Lewis. I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's almost like setting ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. I'm going to read that one more time to make sure it really settles into us. I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's like setting ourselves up as a higher tribunal than God. Is there an area of your life where you are struggling to experience peace? Where you are wrestling with God's forgiveness? In the quiet moments, do you think to yourself, surely he couldn't forgive that. It's too dark. It's too big. It's been going around for too long. To you, friend, I would say this, fear is a liar. There is no part of your life that is above God's power, ability, or desire to forgive, to cleanse, and to make right. Chuck Swindoll says, God's forgiveness extends to the worst offenders and to anyone who wishes to receive it, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. God is unswervingly committed to restore what is broken, to endure the punishment so we can experience the peace. His fatherly heart cannot bear to watch us slide down that hill one more time, covered in mud and filth and clinging to our guilt. He desires to set you free. Galatians 5.1 tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, God set you free so that you would live like a free person. When that net of metal, heavy, that heavy net of metal armor has been cut from you, don't grab it again and tie it back to you. Lisa Turkhurst puts it this way. Shame and condemnation are not from God. Receive his forgiveness, walk in his freedom, and live the greatest testimony of truth there is. Redemption. Child of God, receive his promise to you today. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you any more, and there is nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. His love for you is full and complete in Christ. Stop trying to earn it. Stop acting like his forgiveness and mercy depend on you. You cannot earn God's love and acceptance any more than you can nullify them. They are yours forever through Christ. No one can change that, not even you. Tim Keller tweeted earlier this week, If we fail to change, often it is because somewhere... We are not remembering who we are in Christ. If what we're after is true and lasting change in our lives, if we truly want to see a new year and new me, then we must understand and remember who we are in Christ. So that begs the question, who are we in Christ? For the note takers, don't worry about writing down this whole list. We're going to give you a little card on the way out that has all of these on it. You can put it on your fridge this week. 
And I want you to sit and listen. If you're, if you're someone who's comfortable closing your eyes, do that. Sit and listen to all of these promises that God says are true about you if you are his child. I am deeply and irrevocably loved. I am God's child. John 1, 12. First one was Romans 8, 38 to 39. I am victorious. 1 John 5, 4. I am a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I am chosen and declared holy, Colossians 3.12. I am alive with Christ, Colossians 2.13. I am strong in Christ, 2 Corinthians 12.9-10. I am free, John 8.36. I am fully forgiven, Ephesians 1.7. I am never alone, Hebrews 13.5. I am blameless and free from accusation, Colossians 1.22. I am a saint, Ephesians 2.19. I am forever free from condemnation, Romans 8, 1 through 2. I am a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3.20. I am assured that all things will work together for my ultimate good, Romans 8.28. I am safe and the evil one cannot harm me, 1 John 5.18. I am a chosen representative of God, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. I am a light in the world, Matthew 5, 14. I am valuable, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me, Romans 8, 37. It's a pretty good list, huh? If we could remember those in our daily lives, wow. Wow. As I said earlier, you will get a printed list of all of these on your way out today. I want to challenge you to hang it somewhere where you will see it this week. On your fridge, your bathroom mirror, in your car. Read through them often. Remember that quote from Keller? If we fail to change, often it is because somewhere we are not remembering who we are in Christ. As you catch yourself failing to remember who you are in Christ, failing to experience his peace, go back to this list. Identify the lie and replace it with truth. Ask the Holy Spirit to seal God's word and his promises on your heart and in your mind so that you begin to think and act and feel as if every one of these promises is true of you. And if you see one of your Christian brothers or sisters failing to remember who they are in Christ, for heaven's sake, remind them. Remind them of who God says they are. Share specific scriptures with them and pray for God to bind those promises on their hearts. Peace can only come through forgiveness and forgiveness can only come through Christ. If you have never asked him into your life, if you have never accepted his free gift of the great exchange, trading all your sin and guilt and shame for all of his righteousness and freedom and peace, I cannot encourage you strongly enough. Stop punishing yourself. Stop trying to fix it on your own. Stop holding yourself up to a low standard so you can appear better than you are. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that the first step toward progress is to admit that you've got a problem. That's the first step in the gospel, too. Won't you confess your sin problem to God this morning? Confess that you have failed to live up to his standards. 
He stands waiting to hear you, waiting to receive, waiting to cleanse and forgive you and to adopt you into his forever family as his own deeply loved child. Lay your burden down. Take up his grace. It's a trade that you will never regret. I'll end with this promise from Psalm 72.7. In his, Jesus' days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. The psalmist was predicting a future day when Jesus would reign. And those who have been made righteous through him would not just live, but flourish. He then promises that peace would abound until the moon ceases to exist. What he's saying is this. There will be a day when the promised one will come and rescue God's people to change their hearts and make them like his. And in him, they will know true and lasting peace for the rest of their lives. What a beautiful picture. It's not a fairy tale. It's the true redemption story that God is writing in your life and in mine. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Through Christ, I am assured of a new me that has full access to perfect peace through the, the complete forgiveness that I have in Christ. So, when peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou God has taught me to say, it is well, it is truly well with my soul. Amen. Let's pray together.